So let's dive into it. Today I have a couple serious topics and we're going to deal with this question uh, today. And the next question that I'm going to deal with is this one. What happens when somebody commits suicide? It's a pretty serious question. And, and I, I'm going to do my best to answer it, though I'm a little bit uh, fearful of answering it. It's a tough question to be asked, a point blank question like that in a public setting, and here's why. Um, I, I, first of all, I don't think the Bible deals directly. There are some indirect issues that I'm going to go to. Um, but as I answer it, I want to be very cautious that I don't give a license or a liberty to anybody. Because I don't know where the question is coming from, and that's the disadvantage. Uh, to doing this publicly. If somebody was sitting across the table from me asking the question, I could probe into that a little bit more. Like, are you asking because of some, you know somebody that committed suicide? Or are you asking the question because you're contemplating it? Based on their answers would be how I would answer those questions. Does that make sense? Yes. And so it's, it's a little bit tough, but I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts. It's a very serious subject. And, uh, and I, I really could imagine that pretty much everybody in this room probably knows somebody or has been affected or touched by somebody or knows somebody that either did or a friend that has committed suicide. And, and as a pastor, I've had to deal with it. Uh, I've had to do funeral services of people that have ended their lives. And as a matter of fact, I had a very, very good friend of mine. Uh, whose wife ended her life, was a pillar in the church, and, and I did the funeral. And um, it's very interesting, as I did the funeral, I talked about being able to see her again in heaven and, and to and minister to the family and, and to relatives and all that. And I took a very biblical approach to that. But when that was over that week, and this has been years and years ago, when that was over, I got some really nasty emails from church-going people about um, that I was in heresy because we know that that's self-murder and murder is one of the Ten Commandments. And so Christians were determined to put this individual in hell and were mad because I did it. How many know that's exactly what religion likes to do? And, and I think we totally misunderstood. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Did you hear that? No condemnation. I can tell I'm already messing with some of you today, aren't I? Huh? Um, there's no condemnation. And, and so let's talk about this a little bit. Um, first of all, it really breaks my heart uh, to know that there are people that hurt this bad, that they feel that their only solution is to check out. Um, that bothers me. It bothers me because as a pastor and having a pastor's heart, I think there's a solution. As a matter of fact, I know there is. And um, I always believe, my way of thinking is that my tomorrows are always going to be better than my todays. No matter what I'm in, I believe this philosophy that this too will pass. If I'm in a valley, there must be a mountain coming. And the place of my greatest resistance Resistance is the place of my greatest breakthrough, and I just think that way. And 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 uh, and so when I see somebody that's got to the end of their rope, I just want time with them to help them understand that. Um, this year, somewhere around one million 
our nation will attempt suicide. That's pretty devastating. Here's what it says to me as a church. It says there's a lot of people that have lost hope. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. In other words, my emotions are just junk when I have lost hope that tomorrow can be a better day. A million people. And, and that kind of statistic tells me that somebody that I'm going to rub shoulders with this week has probably is either going through that, will go through that, or has gone through that. Many people that, um, that think, so the question is, do, do people that commit suicide, do they go to heaven or do they go to hell? And, and those that say, well, they just go to hell, uh, they use 1 John 3.15, and here's what it says. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, I'm not sure I jumped to that conclusion through that verse totally, because I think there's a lot of other things that we need to consider. Um, um, one of the things that uh, I would probably just say is this. First of all, um, the scripture does not deal directly with it. It does deal indirectly with it. And here's one of the things I'd also say. Jesus doesn't list suicide as one of the unpardonable sins. So let's, let's just take a look at a couple of things. Uh, how many of you would be willing, just for the sake of this question, have sinned since you got saved? Alright? If you didn't raise your hand, that's your sin. <laughs> you lie. Okay? okay. <laughs> I mean, that's your sin. You just lied in church. Alright? So, okay. I know you're holding coffee. I'm just trying to... Okay. So the fact of the matter is that when we're saved, it doesn't mean that we're sin. It doesn't mean that we have we will never again do the act of sin. It means we're sinless in the sight of God. Because as we receive Jesus, the Bible says in Acts chapter number 17, now here's Jesus, he paid the penalty of, of our sin. And now when I receive his gift, Acts 17 says, in him I live. In Him I move, and in Him I have my, my very being. So when God looks at me, He doesn't see me, but He sees me covered in the righteousness of Christ. So let me ask you a question, and I know I'm going to mess with some people's religion here, and I want to do that, and I'm going to use this question to kind of get you thinking on some things. First of all, did Jesus die for all of our sins, yes or no? Everybody, yes? yes? Okay, Jesus died for all of our sins. And most every Christian I ever ask that question, they say, yep, he died for all of our sins. Let me show you just a picture of this. In the Old Testament, when the priest would go into the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies to offer the, the spotless lamb for the forgiveness of our sin, if you study the tabernacle, there's a lot of furniture in there. There's the, there's the candlesticks, the altar of incense. There's all kind of furniture in there. But there's, there's not a chair in there. In other words, the high priest had to continually offer blood sacrifices for the forgiveness of our sins. He was never at rest because we sin all the time, right? But the Bible says when Jesus, our high priest in the New Testament, after he rose from the grave, then what happened is the Bible says he went and was what? Seated at the right hand of the Father. In other words, he died. 
for our sins once and for all. Every time we mess up, he doesn't have to get up and die again, but he forgave us of our sins, right? Now, did he forgive us of all of our sins? Okay, so now the word all in the Greek and the Hebrew means all. <laughs> and that means he, for, he forgave me of my past sins. Aren't you glad? Yes. Come on, did anybody have some past sins you're really glad? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't remember them anymore. He forgave us of our present sin. The, the, the thing we're struggling with right now, the past, the present, watch this, and the future sins. Wait a minute. Yeah, he's forgiven us of that. That's why Romans 8, 1 says, now there is no condemnation to all of us that are in, in him we live and move and have our being. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, if this was not true, I would be one paranoid, schizophrenic Christian. It's true. Because I would walk around going, oops, I sinned, I'm out of heaven. Oops, I thought wrong, I'm out of heaven. Forgive me, Lord, I'm back in. I thought wrong, I'm back out. I said wrong, I'm back out. I went to church, I'm back in. And I would live this paranoid, oh no, kind of life. I know some of us that have lived that way. See, here's what happens. The law and legalism pushes us away from God because we feel like we can never be good enough. Have you ever heard somebody say, I just can't get it together. I can't live good enough to be a Christian. That's the wrong view of Christianity. Grace says, come on in. And grace draws me close to Christ. Let me give you an example. And you might think I'm getting off subject, but I'm not because I want to use this question to help us understand God's grace. There's a lady that's a dear friend of ours that struggled with smoking for years and was in church for years. And, but in her church culture, there was always this thou shalt and thou shalt not. And the law always pushes you away from God. The law says I'm not good enough. But when we live under grace, grace removes all that condemnation. And now grace draws me close to God and makes me want to do right, not I have to do right. And when you change that mindset, we can get victory over sin. Now some people, amen, come on, give the Lord a good hand on that. Now watch this. Some people would say, now Ken, you can't preach grace like that because if you preach grace, you're giving everybody just a license to go out and live however. No, no. The law is what does that. If I sit here and say, thou shalt and thou shalt not, then I don't feel close enough to God. And when I don't feel close enough to God, what do I do? I go out and sin. But the Bible says, and this is in your script, or not in your scripture note, but Romans chapter number four, I'm pretty sure it's verse number two, but it is Romans four. It says, but the kindness of God leads us to repentance. When I understand the heart of God, that He's not judging and condemning, but that He's loving, that's what leads me to repentance. Okay, I said all of that for a particular reason. If I'm driving down the road after church today, and somebody cuts me off in traffic, and I get mad, I just snap. Maybe i got a lot of pressure on me, and let's just say 
this would never happen because I don't use language like this. I could do a lot of other things like smash them back. But anyway, all right. And I just start cussing them out and yelling at them and just that kind of thing. And then I crash my car and die. Am I going to heaven or hell? Come on, somebody, be bold. I gotta be bold. Am I going to hell? Somebody's like, you're going to hell, all right? All right. So, no. His grace is sufficient, and in him there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now hang with me because I'm going to define what sin is in a minute. But we got this whole wrong idea that oops, I sinned, I'm out of heaven. Oops, I did I'm out of heaven. How many know God's grace is bigger than all of that? Okay. Now I'm not License to sin, and that's why I'm going to do a series on grace after this because I think we really need to understand this. Here's my point one sin is not greater than another sin. All of you just said, Well, you'll be in heaven if you do. You think God's grace is big, big enough for our mess ups? Sure, it is. Otherwise, the law says you've got to live perfect. Grace says, I'm going to journey after God. And man, talk about the freedom that grace has that I don't have to be perfect. Okay? Um, now, remember the verse I read to you that if, if, if the law would have brought righteousness, then there was no need for Jesus to die. And there was a reason for Jesus to die so that in him I can have forgiveness. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean I just go out and live however I want. My kids, if they mess up, I don't throw them out of the house, right? Amen. No, a father doesn't do that. They can choose that they want to rebel and move out and go live their own lifestyle. But while they're living under my house and under my roof, all through their years when they messed up, I didn't throw them out. So you can't be a part of the family anymore. So how much more, we being evil, how much more can Christ, right? He loves us. He died on the cross. He wants us to make it. He didn't take all of our sins to the cross, die on the cross, go to the right hand of the Father and look down and say, Aha, there's a reason I can keep you out. That's not the heart of God. And so if I can, if that's true, then suicide is no different. Now, hang on there with me for just a moment, all right? Um, the suicide is no different. Um, because here's what we don't know. We don't know what's going on in somebody's mind. I don't know what's going on in somebody's emotions, their chemical imbalances, their emotional imbalances. I have no idea, and neither do you. We don't know. And I just think the church ought to quit playing judge. It's not my job to put people in heaven or hell. It's my job to talk about there's a God who loves you, and here's what he did for you, and let's get on this journey of salvation together. Everybody hearing that today? Um, um, now, now let me just draw one more thing to your attention. There's a lot of scripture verse I'm probably not going to go to, but how many of you ever heard of a guy by the name of Samson? Remember Samson? In essence, what Samson did was he took his own life. He committed suicide. And he knew he was going to die. He said, okay, God, one more time, give me strength. Boom, knock down the walls. And he died. And many say that's the definition of suicide. Man, his eyes had been gouged out. He was having a bad day. I mean, you know, seriously. And he said, that's it. I've messed up. I'm ending my life. 
and he ended his life. But yet in Hebrews chapter number 11, we find him in the Hebrews Hall of Fame being called a man of faith. Okay, so now let me just hurry along here and let me just say, um, I wouldn't use this as a license to go out and say, okay, I'm going through a bad time and Ken just said that, you know, I won't go to hell over it. Well, let me just, let me give a little postscript to this. Let me give a little parenthetical pause. Um, I don't know your heart and I don't know your motives. And, and I wouldn't trust, I, I, I would trust the word of God and, and I would find out what God, and, and here's what I would say. Only God knows your heart and only God knows your motive. So this is not a license to you. And if you ask the question for somebody or if you ask the question for yourself and you're here today, let me say to you without sounding cliche or trite or empty, let me just please say to you and please hear this for the first time. Where you're at is not where you have to stay. And it might be a dark time right now, but I promise you that God made us more than conquerors, Romans 8, 28. And what the devil means for bad, God can turn it around and make it good. This is not the last day. It might be dark right now, but the Bible says joy comes in the morning. And uh, your best days are ahead of you. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. We serve a God of hope. And I know that sounds so empty right now. You're in that place. But please just hear this. God brought you here for this reason. If you're watching my video, if you're here today, God is a God of hope. Where you're at is not where you have to stay. We as a church will do anything we need to do to help encourage you on the journey and help you put one foot in front of the other and get farther along. And you'll look back on this day and say, wow, I'm so glad I chose to treasure this life that God gave me. Would you agree with me, church? Come on. All right. All right. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. And I... I I want to be honest with you to ask those, answer those tough questions. Here's another one. The next question that we're going to deal with today is why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, a lot of us know this, and I can sit here and tell you that I've been through some bad things in my life, particularly in my childhood, and I could walk you through all that. But let just be suffice to say that I understand. I've been there and I've asked that question. God, why does this have to happen to me? This week I was sitting at the conference and Chris Hodges is one of my heroes and as he took the platform and began to preach, he was talking about being uh, what it takes to be a good son, uh, a spiritual son. And he talked about how great it was that he grew up in a home with a biological father that mentored him and taught him. And then he had a pastor all of his life that spiritually mentored him and prepared him for ministry. And in 11 years, he has had some incredible success because of the mentoring he had. And there was this, this moment as I was listening to this message. How many know that even the devil can work through sermons? How <laughs> many know the devil uses every opportunity? And I started to get discouraged. I started thinking, well, I didn't have my dad there, and I've never had a spiritual mentor. I haven't had a pastor, and no wonder I'm not farther along in life. That's what the devil does. 
And, and I, it was just for a minute. Don't, you don't have to come preach to me after this. I'm over it, okay? But, but just for a moment, it was like, see, why, God? Why didn't I have that? Why didn't I get those advantages? Why, why didn't I have a dad teach me about A, B, and C? And how come I haven't had a pastor to help me through A, B, and C? And, and I could start saying, and this, I know this would have happened in my life, and I'm, I'm sure this wouldn't have happened, and, and I could do all the things and say, why do bad things happen to good people? Because after all, I am a good person, God. Yeah. Alright? My wife said yes. Alright, so anyway, uh, and, and we could ask all of those. Let me just take you to this. Genesis 2.17, I go back to this verse almost every week. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Let's look at it. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and good and up to that point, all Adam knew was good. Remember, God created and he got back and said, it is good. He looked, he created again and said, I'm the man, it's good. Huh? Everything was good. But Adam, when he took the fruit, he opened the door to an evil. And it took the enemy out from the authority of under our feet into the heavenlies. And there's so much scripture that supports us. I just can't take the whole time to do it. And now, that's why the Bible calls him the prince of this air. He's the prince of this world. Sickness and sin and disease and evil entered into this world that we have. And so um, the devil is the prince of this world. And the Bible says that one day, well, first of all, immediately God made provision for us to get saved so that we can have a relationship with him. And one day... The there will be a new heaven and a new earth where we don't have to deal with the Boston issue that we dealt with this week or any other bad things that have happened in our world. And so why do bad things happen to good people? Because good people live in an evil world, a fallen world, a world with sin, a world with sickness, a world with death, a world with disease. How many of you know disease is not prejudice, right? And so bad, bad things happen to good people, but our hope is not in this temporary life. Come on, somebody. Our hope is in eternity with Christ. Jesus will heal me. It might be on this side of heaven. It might be on the other side of heaven. But he's going to heal my body and my infirmities. And one day there won't be those diseases in the world that we live in. But until then, we live by faith in this fallen world. And, uh, and why does God heal some and doesn't heal others? I don't know the question to that. Why do some Chris Hodges get to grow up with not only one spiritual mentor, but two, and Ken Hubbard doesn't get any? Why does that happen? I don't know why that happens. But I know when Jesus was on earth, in John chapter number 16, verse number 33, he said, look, in this world, you're going to have troubles. In this world, there's going to be tribulation. In this world, there's going to be some unfair things that happen. But don't get hung up in this world. I've overcome this world. There's a new world. There's a new heaven. Come on. There's, there's new that's coming. Don't get your mind on these 70 years when eternity is in front of us. 
and say, well, Ken, that's just not fair. It's just not fair. God's not fair. And I would say to you, you're 100% right. God's not fair. Because if he was fair, he would give all of us what we deserve. And I don't want what I deserve. How many would agree with me? Amen? Come on. Right? Bad things happen to good people. But let's keep a, a, an eternity picture in mind. Okay? Everybody good with that? I got five minutes left. And uh, so I'm going to skip a couple of those. And uh, let, me, let, let me try to do two quickly. Number, uh, whatever number. Uh, what, what is sin? Somebody just said, what is sin? Well, sin is not necessarily the act of sin as it is um, that, that we have the nature of sin. And that's what makes us sinners. Okay? I'm not a sinner because I go out today and mess up and tell a lie. That doesn't make me a sinner. I'm a, I'm a Christian saved by grace and I made a mistake. Okay? So I'm a sinner because I have the nature of sin in me until I give my life to the Lord. Then I become a Christian. I am the righteousness of Christ then. Uh, but sin is, let me give you a couple verses. James 4, 17. It says, if you know what is right and uh, to do, but you do not do it, to you it's sin. That's that whole part of listening to the voice of God. And God's saying, I don't want you going to this place. I don't want you hooking up with this person. I don't want you doing these things. And when you do it anyway, that's sin. That's sin. Now, does His grace cover that sin? Well, His grace does cover our sin. We're, we're going to heaven. But here's the thing. Here's what we mess up. He might have things for us, usability for us, that we disqualify ourselves from because we continue to live in those areas. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? So it's the quality of our Christianity and the opportunities that God has for us. God wants to know, can I trust you also? Can, I'm, if you're faithful in small things, I'll make you ruler of a lot of things. Everybody, everybody grab, I'm trying to answer it fast. So, um, sin is just separation from God. Adam and Eve sin, we're born as sinners, and that means our spirit man is dead, we're out of fellowship with Christ. So, John 3, 3 says, if a man's not born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that means literally the kingdom, but it also means I won't see the kingdom of heaven. In other words, I won't see it here as I live. I won't participate in it. I won't have the full benefits of living uh, my life uh, in, in a heavenly way. Does that make sense? Okay, so those are just a few things. Um, I want to get to this last question. I'm going to end with this one because this one really grabbed my heart. Um, and at first, when I first looked at it, I was like, well, duh. And then the more I looked at it, the more I see myself in it. And, and the question basically says, why does God love me? And, and it was one of those questions I just didn't feel like I could just jump over. Because it, I have to take it at face value that this is somebody's real heart question. Why does God love me? And so I'm going to assume that because you're asking that question, you deal with condemnation and shame and guilt and past. And how in the world could God love me? I've done so many things wrong. His grace is bigger than anything you've done wrong. And I, let me just say this. God created us to love us. That was the whole purpose He created us. He created us because He wanted fellowship. 
See, before he created us, Lucifer was in heaven that brought worship and relationship to God. And, and he rebelled, so God cast him out of heaven. And there's a void of relationship and worship missing. So he created us for relationship and worship to him. And, and God is love. That's why he loves us. And uh, let me just take you real quickly on a personal journey. And that's this. Uh, I preached for 20, probably 21, 22 years to hundreds and thousands of people that God loved them and had a plan for their life. And I understood it here. But all the while I was telling everybody else how much God loved them, I wasn't fully understanding God's love for me. And um, I came to a place in my life where there was a lot of events that were happening, and, and I was just at kind of the end of my road. I really was starting to question, uh, not if God was real, but Lord, do we got this church thing messed up? Because I, I was not believing in the church anymore. I was mad at people, hurt by people. And, and I felt myself waking up every day of my life, and I finally identified it as condemnation. I, I, I just, it was so much a part of my life that I would just wake up feeling like a bad person. Just, that's the way I did. And I would go to devotions trying to beg God to let me back into His presence. And I started every, every day of my life like this, just that I'm not good enough. And then I began to realize that I, I led my whole ministry like this. My whole ministry had become about performing and trying to do enough. I didn't consciously do it, you understand, right? But subconsciously, I was doing a lot of right things, and, and they were for a lot of wrong reasons. And so I wrote books, and I built buildings, and I led people to the Lord, and and I did more services, and I added more ministries, and I built more buildings, and I wrote more books, and I preached on bigger platforms, and I did, 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 all the while trying to get God to say, I love you, and I receive you. And let me tell you, after years and years and years of living a performance-driven lifestyle, let me tell you, I finally burnt myself out because religion never has, you can never do enough to earn God's love if you're trying to earn God's love. And I was burning myself out working like a madman and thousands of people were getting the benefits of it. They're all going yippee. And all the while, I was, I was killing myself doing it. So I went to get counseling, and I asked my wife to go with me. I said, there's just something not right in here. And uh, we sat down in the counselor's office, and a couple times in, uh, I've told this story. Forgive me if you've heard it before. He, put, he took a piece of paper out of a children's Bible of Jesus being baptized, and he put it at my feet, and he said, tell me what you see. And I told him, oh, this is Jesus being baptized, yada, yada, yada. And I put on my best preacher thing. And he said, no, that's not what I'm looking for. He said, tell me again. And then, you know, I got a little more preachy and said, well, he was anointed, but he wasn't appointed yet. You know, this marked his ministry. He said, well, you're still missing something. I said, okay, well, this is the scripture verse that says, this is my son. I'm well pleased, yada, yada, yada. And he said, no, Ken, you, that, that's not it. He said, do you mind if I tell you what it says? And I said, sure. And I was a little irritated. Because I'm like, I'm the man of God. I know what the Bible says. You know what I'm saying? I preach this verse every time I do water baptism, all right? 
And uh, Mark chapter number 1, verse number 10. He read it. He opened his Bible and he read. He said, as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw heaven open. And the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. And that's the story. But here's what it says. And a voice from heaven came. And it says, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. And now Acts chapter number 17 says, because I received Jesus, in him I live. In him I move. In him I have my very being. So you know what that means? It means when God looks down on me, he says, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. But I messed up. This is my beloved son. Who I am well pleased. But I seen evil. This is my beloved son. But I thought evil. This is my beloved son. But I said evil. This is my beloved son. The water baptism was my salvation experience. And now because I'm saved, in him I live. In him I move. In him I have my very being. It changed my life. I began to weep in that office. For the first time, I felt the heaven open. And God said, you cannot earn my love. I love you. You cannot do anything to change that love. It's changed my life. It's changed my ministry. And I say that to tell you, God loves you. You are his son. You are his daughter. In, in, in you, he is well pleased because of what Jesus did for us. Aren't you glad for it today? Amen. I got a good